Hello. My name is Dr. Mercurio Arborea, and I am the founder of the Arborea Institute. Through our unique blend of benign pharmacology, sensory therapy, and energy sculpting, we can guide you to a new, better, happier you. You're about to embark on a great journey that the new age of enlightenment begin. What is at stake is more than one small country. It is a big idea, a new world order. It's no longer a theory. What I'm about to say is fact. The secret organizations of the world power elite are no longer secret. They have planned and are now leading us into a one world communist government. Welcome useless eaters to the Odd Man Out podcast where we talk about hidden history, depolitical policy, occult deconstruction, economics, religion, and philosophy. I'm your rabbit hole aficionado, the odd man. Welcome. The affirmative task we have now is, uh, is to actually um, uh, create uh, uh, a new world order. Public policy could itself become the captain of a scientific, technological elite. And when that first cocaine was smuggled in on a ship, it may as well have been a deadly bacteria so much as it hurt the body, the soul of our country. But take my word for it, this scourge will stop. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another Oddcast featuring me, your odd man out. And this week I have a very special guest, someone that... I've been following for a long time, and I really respect, and I don't throw that word around very often. I don't do guests that often, but this guy, I think, is original and worth following, worth listening to and checking out. Pete Quinones, what's up, my friend? Good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. A little under the weather with the nasty cold, but... um, as long as my voice holds up, we're good. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot of people a lot of people are sick right now. So Yeah, you know. I've noticed that. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, well, I'm sure that a lot of my listeners are gonna know you, but I'm sure there's a few that won't. And um, you know, it's always cool to kind of get a little bit of background on people. So would you kinda tell us a little bit about yourself? And uh, I always like to find out, I know it's cliche, but I, I do like to kind of find out how people got interested in talking about politics and becoming a podcaster and writer as well. Sure. Well, <clears throat> I was pretty, I wouldn't say apolitical. I was like um, one of those typical people that grew older people who grew up in like New York city um, at a time when people had conservative values, but they were fit. They were like, they had conservative values, but the values were like, um, they were very liberalized. Yeah, and I I always felt like um, more conservative leaning towards like money and finance and everything. So it was like you know almost socially liberal, fiscally conservative. But I did have some growing up Roman Catholic. I you know Roman Catholic Catholic. Um, I did have um, some values, and I mean, really, nine eleven was one of those things that woke me up and caused me to start reading and paying attention. I had a friend I was working with at the time who had already known all who Osama bin Laden was and everything. So he was like getting me into uh, deep into it. And then 
years later, um, 2007, I, the first Ron Paul Revo- revolution really caused me to start studying politics, to start really trying to figure out exactly what it was and also getting deeper into history because most of the history I was into at that point, I did get into some revisionist history around 90, 1998, but that was really only around a specific certain topic. But um, more revisionist history as far as you know, the American Revolution, things like that. Um, can't come up to 2016, Trump, Hillary Clinton, complete circus and i'm like i had an old twitter account that i had made in like 2008 and i'm like ah, I, mean, I like memes i've always liked memes since the beginning of the internet and uh let me throw some memes out there and people started following me and around 2017 i was trying to figure out you know i wanted to do something because my job at the time left me a lot of free time i i probably had like a good five hours of free time on the clock every day. So there was stuff I could do. I could write. Um, and I, I had actually started thinking about doing something that my friend Tyler does. Now he has the libertarian podcast review podcast. And I had thought about doing that, but I was going to do it in form of writing and just look at specific episodes that I thought were um, really stand out in the libertarian world and you know comments on them but i mean i just life gets in the way you're not listening to a lot of podcasts and i had some recording experience from being in bands and in the summer of 2017 i was just like i had some i had written some things down what i thought were basics so i just started a podcast and started on youtube um used it to get my twitter advertised it on Twitter and my Twitter following was, you know, probably over 10,000 by then. And I mean, it was like the first couple episodes. I was happy to have like 30, 35 people listen to it. And after about 18 episodes, it was like, okay, I'm sitting here doing 15 minutes and, you know, I want to do something else. And I just noticed that a lot of people did interviews. I listened to Tom Woods a lot at the time, but I mean, I wouldn't say a lot. I listened whenever there was an episode that really interests me. And I would listen to, I wasn't like a really big podcast listener until I really actually started a podcast because then you want to get an idea of what people do and how you can improve. So I started doing interviews and I, they were sparse there for a while. And then it just right around episode 50, it just started taking off and I just started interviewing people and interviewing people and interviewing people. And, you know, my, I wrote this little book that I'm not going to mention because I don't sell it anymore. Um, because I pretty much don't agree with a lot of what's in it anymore. I've changed my mind on a lot. So I'm not going to poison people's minds for money. Um, and, it was, it, it was able to get me on some really big podcasts. I was able to get on Tom Woods podcast and I was able to get on Dave Smith's podcast and Lions of Liberty, Mark Claire. And that really started growing my audience. And I just kept doing interviews and I tried to do things that talk about people's personal lives too during interviews, but I tried to do stuff that was topical and, you know, I grew my podcast really well to the point where probably at the beginning of 2020, I could have quit my job and then 2020 happens. And 
COVID happens and I immediately in February, I was podcasting about it. I was already predicting what was going to happen in February and I, I didn't stop talking about COVID and my, I, I probably grew 50%. My audience grew by 50% during wow. like a six month period because I was concentrating on COVID, but I was also asking a lot of questions about um, if, if libertarianism is this great answer that I'd been preaching that it always was, how come whenever a crisis comes around, people don't run to the libertarians and ask for answers and they actually mock them. So I noticed that like, as soon as COVID started, people were, were just mocking libertarianism and that doesn't make it wrong. Okay. Theoretically, anything can be right. And the, you know, libertarians like to say, oh, we're the most moral. Okay, that's great. You know, morality is great in your personal life. Politics isn't about morality. Okay, It should be about morality, but it's not. If we had people who really cared about other people in charge, sure. You know, we've had, There have been regimes in the past. I mean, I think there are regimes in the world right now that, that have leaders that really care about their people. And you know, to call them regimes is is probably derogatory, but you know, countries that have great leaders. Um, so I started really questioning. Okay, if liber- why am I promoting something that nobody wants to buy? Uh, I'm in this group. I'm I basically have made this. This is like become an identity for a bunch of people. And so I started reading stuff outside of libertarianism, which was something that was never really, you know, promoted. And as I started reading more about how politics actually works and, you know, looking at the history of uh, political thought, I started noticing that, yeah, there were regimes in the past that were very, um, very orderly and had their best, had the, their people's best interests at heart. And they didn't, yeah, that wasn't really libertarianism. It was. It, it didn't look like a libertarian society. Um, it was also mo- most of those regimes were monocultural, um, and you know, Western and white. And you know, I just came to the conclusion that you know maybe libertarianism can work, but it's going to it's going to take a spe- it's going to take people who have a lot in common and share share a lot in common, um, who have a high trust. Um, amongst each other. And ever since then, I've um, gone on a path of really uh, history, um, getting into revisionist history, um, made friends with Thomas, a gentleman named Thomas 777 um, in the beginning of 2022. And I understood what he was doing and what his life, his life work was all about. So I wanted to make that a part of my, my podcast. So we did 23 episodes of revisionist history on World War II, um, and mostly from the German side, looking at it from from the German side, and that really kicked something off. And, and I started to realize it was history was really important to me. And I started reading books on my podcast, do multiple episodes. I, I started with uh, Ted Kaczynski's manifesto, and went on to. Um, Vladimir Lenin's state and revolution, because I want people to understand what Bolshevism is, what, what communism is. And, um, I did recently a, um, I think it was 13 episodes on a book called race war in high school from 1973. 
which to me is one of the most eye-opening books that I've ever read. And, and I wanted people to hear it because it really showed what it showed the fruits of integration, not only integration um, of integra- the integrating of the schools, but also what the civil rights era, what the civil rights act and the, and the voting rights act of 64 and 65 really did. And you know, I start. I do episodes where I read from you know, obscure, obscure books, and um, do a chapter here, a chapter there, and talk a lot about history. Thomas, Thomas, seven and I are going doing a World War One right now. Uh, we just recorded um, episode episode four, which first three episodes didn't even get up to the assassination of. Uh, <laughs> Archduke Ferdinand, we just got into that in episode four. And, you know, as Thomas said, we could probably do World War One for the rest of our lives. <laughs> we, so um, we're at the point now where it's just going to be like, okay, what are we going to, you know, where, what are, what's the most important thing? And this could probably, this could probably go longer than the World War Two one. But um, yeah, I just, I've become interested in history. My politics are, have become, I really just, I want, order i want um you know i I, there's a certain influence that's taken over taken over the country since the new deal and i i really honestly think until that influence is um i I think that basically destroyed america that we haven't had the united states of america since uh the new deal regime especially after world war ii and my whole goal one of my goals is to make people realize that world war ii um, the United States fought on the wrong side, and that ever since then we were basically an occupied, a foreign occupied government, and um, trying to do everything, especially with current events, um, to help people realize that. I think it's amazing, man, that the amount of work that you guys have done. I've heard a few episodes, and it's it's really blown my mind because there's just so much in each one, and the revisionist history is so important because. You know, average people don't even know pop culture history, let alone, you know, real history. And so I think it's so important. And I, I feel like a lot more people are getting interested in history, you know, the real deal. And um, I think that's great. You know, it's a, a good positive sign because there's not a lot of positive signs in our culture these days. But uh, I do remember, you know, I knew that you were like in the libertarian world. And, uh, you know, I was just kind of following it kind of from afar. But um I realized at one point, you know, I could tell that you were kind of changing and it was almost the exact same time that I had been reading, you know, like books like by Quigley or Gary Allen or, you know, these kind of books Mm -hmm. that a lot of older conspiracy people had read. And I was starting to realize, wait a minute, you know, this libertarian idea, there's some great things about it, but it's not realistic in a lot of ways. And I felt like I was just beginning to, um, cover for a lot of these people who've, you know, kind of um, pulled the wool over people's eyes, you know, because it kind of gets to like a real basic, all of the private sector is good and all the government is bad, you know, you know what I mean? It gets to that basic thing. Yeah, they honestly, a lot of libertarians actually have the belief that corporations couldn't be as powerful as they are if, if, if the government didn't exist. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm of the opinion that they could be absolutely worse than they are. Yeah, because, uh, I mean, I try to tell people, just in my opinion, I think the uh, 
the fact that the government doesn't work that well probably holds back what a lot of these businessmen and elites, these group of elites with just endless amounts of money want to do, you know, because they could streamline it a lot better if the government was even working well and they could control it because we know they control it for the most part. But if the government was gone, there would be no obstacles in their way. And, you know, you can just look through history and see what, you know, just by the funding, what these guys would do if they had full power, full free reign. So, Right. Yeah. And, you know, and then you get a bunch of when when you say that, it's like, well, if companies did that, then we just rise up against them. Like you're rising up against the government right now. Right. right. Um, you know, and plus you're 20 years old and you live at home or you're 50 years old and you're on diabetes medication. Yeah, sure. Right. Sure. Is it is it any wonder why the people in charge are not scared of you and will just throw you in prison and know that know that they can throw you in prison for turning the capital and no one's going to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there's it, the country's completely, I mean, we're not, a you know, the, the Faustian spirit is gone. The fighting spirit is gone. And, you know, right now we're just, we're a country of, I mean, docile indoor cats, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's and, a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, what, what are they scared of? I mean, I, I think from what I see of the Zoomer generation, you know, I don't want to rip on, rip on young people too much. I think the Zoomer generation really start is starting to see through this, um, that poll the other day about support of Israel. And, um, it seemed like the Zoomer generation was very low in support, like 27%. And my wife and I were talking about how, um, you know, much of Israel's support in this country happens because of evangelical Christians and this dispensational eschatology uh, that they believe in, that they've been sold. And it's, you know, these same people who, um, you know, rule over us have tried to do everything they can to get people, get people not to go to church. And it looks like it may have bit them in the ass on this one because, you know, you have a bunch of kids who aren't growing up in the church and they're not buying into the bullshit. Yeah, that makes total sense. I I tell people it's just ridiculous what these evangelical pastors say and do. There's no thing that Israel could do that they wouldn't say is a prophecy. It's anything they do, anything anybody does to them, you know, so... Well, I mean, I've seen video of them dressed up in Israeli garb with stars of David on it, which didn't exist until 11, uh, 1107 AD. So it's not, I mean, star of David, oh, this ancient thing is David, David. No, it has nothing to do with the king, with King David. Um, and they're basically calling for the g- genocide of the Palestinians. And these yep. are, these are quote unquote Christians, you know, and it's one of the, uh, yeah, you know, I was I was a cradle Catholic. I was baptized on the Christmas Day of the year I was born. Went to Catholic church growing up. Um, went graduated Catholic high school growing up. And in my twenties, my late twenties, I um, went to a Protestant church, a Baptist church, and I, you know, decided to be baptized. And I was a Protestant for I mean, it, about five years. I mean, it, it, five years is all it took for me to be like, I don't want to go to church anymore. Mm-hmm. because the the fighting the 
the infighting, the, you know, just how terrible people were to each other and the arguments over who was right and who was wrong. This like, and recently I went back to the Catholic church. And one of the reasons I went back to the Catholic church is because, you know, they, they're uniform about what they believe, you know, and people can say, Oh, the Pope now is a commie and everything like that. It's like, there are people, there are pious Catholics all over the world who don't even have a TV, who have no idea what the Pope is saying. It affects them in no way. We've had crappy Popes before, you know, it's, that that kind of thing doesn't matter. You can live a very medieval kind of pious life and um, uh, piety and, and not have to worry about what's going on in Rome at all. And so, yeah, I mean, that's been something for me. And really one of the, one of the main problems I had with the Protestant church was in 1998, I was really getting into reading um, Mark Weber and the guys at Institute for Historical Review who were doing revisionist history on a certain incident in World War II that basically defines our whole existence now. You actually hear politicians when they're challenged say, I had relatives that died in this event. And um, I started reading about in 1998 that, yeah, this this event, the, the, the narrative around this event is sketchy at best. And I started asking, I started asking a lot of questions and that really led me to be, um, to look at evangelical Christianity and basically leave. And I still called myself, you know, like, Oh, if I believe anything, I believe in like Baptist theology, the old Baptist theology and everything. But I mean, evangelicalism has gotten so out of hand in this country, you know, 10,000 different denominations. They just split up and there's no coherence. There's no cohesiveness. And yeah, yeah, I just couldn't deal with it anymore. And plus just the Israel worship. Yeah. The Jews. Oh, if we rebuild the the third temple, we'll trick Jesus into coming back. The hubris, the hubris to think that you're going to trick Jesus into coming back. I mean, you're you're going to go out there, and you're going to be the one who fulfills fulfills biblical prophecy. So you can. I mean, it's very Talmudic for anyone who really. Um, it's a very Talmudic idea that you're going to trick God, and um, yeah. So we can we can go on from there if you want. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I've done this series on Zionism, and that kind of led to. Kabbalah, the Talmud, and all that stuff, you know, it's a never-ending rabbit hole because basically, I'm sure as you well know, probably 90% or more of people have no clue what they actually believe and what's happened since the Second Temple destruction or even even that whole scenario with the Second Temple destruction because there's a lot of prophecy that, mm-hmm. you know, was in the Bible, and that came true during that whole period and all these evangelical pastors are still taking a lot of those certain prophecies that already happened and are trying to apply them to the future or even right. to the current thing that's going on. So yeah, it's, it's pretty insane. Uh, like you said, the hubris, I've never seen a people more uh, arrogant and full of themselves. And you know, I've started to read certain Jewish authors that they basically, when they say Messiah, and I'm not saying all of them, but the, uh, I think a pretty good percentage. Messiah is just a symbol for themselves. You know, they are yeah. their own Messiah. So yeah, I saw I saw a, um, a Jewish gentleman the other day say that um, you know Christians need to stop worshiping Jesus and they need to be worshiping us. Yeah, I saw that too. Yep, 
Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's like, okay. All right. I mean, how, how am I supposed to look at, how am I supposed to call that person like um, a brother? Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, I mean, the worst, one of the greatest propaganda terms of all time is Judeo Christian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the, Judaism, first of all, Judaism doesn't exist anymore. The Judaism of the Bible is in practice. It's all Talmudic Judaism. You know, the Talmud, Kabbalah is also, people don't realize exactly. Israel Shahak wrote about the, wrote about it in um, Jewish history, um, Jewish people, Jewish history, um, 3,000 years or something like that. Um, yeah. And he wrote in there. Years, yeah. yeah, yeah. And he, he wrote in there that um, the Kabbalah, is like how many rabbis practice Kabbalah, uh, Kabbalism, and Kabbalism is basically like praying to the devil, praying to demons, um, multiple gods. It's not monotheistic. Um, they they have prayers for the destruction of all Christian for every Christian from the from the face of the earth. And you know, Shahak makes a good point. He says, "Look, this isn't all of them. This isn't you know. There can be in a temple. There can be one person who's praying next to another, and the the Jewish person here who's praying could be praying for the peace in the world, and the person next to them could be pay, praying for the destruction of of every Christian on 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 earth." Yeah, and you just people don't know that people people think that they're praying to the Old Testament God, and you know the Old Testament God still hears them because still listens to them because the Mosaic Covenant is still no the 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 Abrahamic Covenant um, to those who are faithful um, who believed who believe on God and it's accounted to them for righteousness. And what do they believe? They believe in Jesus Christ. Um, but the Mosaic covenant is done. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's like E. Michael Jones says, he goes, you've had the, you have these people walking the earth, walking the earth for 2000 years who they have no way to expiate their sin. They have no way to expiate their guilt. And then, well, what is 2000 years of generation, especially when, you know, they basically said, you know, crucified Jesus and his blood beyond us and our children. Well, if they're calling damnation down upon themselves and they can't get rid of their sin and it's 2000 years of uh, multiple generations of that, I mean, maybe that's why when you look at Israel or you listen to um, real Zionists, you know, who really they're atheists, they don't really believe in God. They're doing this all out of some kind of bloodlust. You look at them and you're like, this person seems insane. And well, you know, it's like, I mean, how do I get rid of my, how do I take care of my sin? I got to, I mean, I started going to confession again and it's like, what a cathartic experience. It's like actually saying your sins out loud where an evangelical church, you're like, keep your sins to yourself. They're, Jesus washed them all away and everything. And it's like, no, actually saying them out loud to somebody and that person going, God forgives you. That's some, I mean, that makes you feel great. Jews don't have that. They don't even think they're, they don't even think they're sinning. They don't believe that most of them don't believe in an afterlife. And so if your whole life and, and another great book um, that talks a lot about this is um, believe it or not, when you listen to the title, you wouldn't think it would talk about this is um, Jews and modern capitalism by Werner Sombart. He talks about how, you know, because there is no promise of an afterlife, Everything is here. That's why they're so why why Jews are so money focused. That's why they're so um, focused on um, commerce and focused on control. Mm-hmm. Is because they, if you have no promise when you when you know when you close your eyes for the last time, 
you you have to store up as much riches as you can here. And yeah, that's a great book. I mean, I, I recommended that to a friend of mine, a friend of mine who's really, you know, I would say he's sort of a little more of a norm, not on the normie side, but you know, he's, you know, he's not like, he's not a psychopath like me. And he like, he ordered it. And when he picked, you know, he's like, I was expecting this thing where, you know, it was just going to be this rants against Jews. He goes, and then I look at the, the references and like half of the references are from like Jewish sources. Mm-hmm. I get all of my references now from the Jewish virtual library. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a great they, source. They do not lie about the, th- about the, the, the absolute evil things that they've done in the past. They record them. Yep, that's absolutely true. Yes, and thank and I want, and thank you so much for doing that. You know, it's like I, I mean, I used to like when I would talk about the King David hotel bombing, I would always go to Wikipedia and share Wikipedia. It's like no, now I just go to the Jewish Virtual Library, you know, in the Levon affair, or talk about Irgun or Lehi. They're they're terrorist organizations that helped found Israel, you know, which is also the greatest. Um, the greatest irony and is also a good example of um, uh, accuse your enemies of, of doing that, which you do is the fact that, I mean, basically Zionism started out as uh, Zionism started out as an idea and evolved into terrorist group. And whereas now when you study terrorism, especially when the CIA was studying terrorism, they found that terrorism really grew out of occupation when, when foreigners occupied lands, um, you know, you saw I mean, a good example, just you don't even have to talk about Islam is um, the IRA is when, when you look at what was going on in Northern Ireland and you know, there was what happened, suicide bombers. Um, you know, everybody's like, Oh, suicide. These Muslims are so crazy. Yeah. I mean, who else, did, who else did suicide? Uh, the Japanese in World War II. Yeah. 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 yeah, this isn't, um, you know, but now they, so when they talk about Islam, they talk about how it uh, has to do with occupation. And then that's when you start seeing suicide bombers. That's when you start seeing someone like Muhammad Atta um, do his will and testament because, you know, this is four, three, four years before he flies a plane into a building because he, um, he knows he's going to give his life for this. And, but when Israel started, it wasn't like the Lehi and Urgun, these terrorist organizations, which were Jewish, that were killing civilians, most a lot of British civilians, but a lot of Arab civilians, um, and setting off bombs and these basically pogroms in, in Palestine. Um, it wasn't because they were occupied. It was because they wanted to go in and occupy that land. And that's what they did. They moved in. Oh well, the United Nations said, "Fuck the United Nations. You don't care about you don't care about the United Nations when it comes to anything else." Like if the United Nations told us, you know, told the United States government, "Oh, you know, you got to let those Indians off the reservation and you got to give them Chicago," the United States government <laughs> would be like, "Go fuck, fuck yourself," you know? Yeah. But you know, but oh, the United Nations gave them that land. Oh, that was Britain's land before. That was Britain's land before. How did they? How did Britain get that land? I mean, it's, it was people on that land. (laughs) There were millions of people. There were people on that land for 2000 years, even after, you know, after the second temple, after the uh, Bar Kokhba rebellion, all those things. I mean, there were people on that land and a lot and people like um, Sheldon Richmond, Shlomo Sand, two Jews believe that the people who were on that land for the 2000 years were actually Jews who had converted to Islam 
and that they were actually the real Jews and that the Ashkenazis and everybody else, they're not real Jews, they're converts. So they're just basically coming to steal that land. Yeah, I was listening to uh, Ralph Schoenman. He did a book, Hidden History of Zionism, and uh, it's a really, it's a pretty short book and it's really easy to read, but he just kind of goes step by step in the whole process of uh, how Zionism started to even up through, I think, the Lebanon War and maybe a little bit after that. But he was Jewish. I didn't even know that when I first started reading the book. But uh, he's got a great video that I posted on Twitter. And it's a, it's just one of his speeches. And it's almost like just him basically reading the book, like from memory. And he goes into the pogroms and how many villages used to be there. And just the he reads like... Uh, quotes from the red cross and the people who came in after the pogroms and had to clean up. And uh, uh, one, one of the heads, one of the heads of the red cross um, was a Swedish count and um, they assassinated him. That's right. Count uh, yeah. Bernadotte or Bernadette, yeah. something Bernadotte. like that. Yeah, yeah, Bernadotte. Yeah. Yeah. They assassinated him because, and here's, here's something that we've seen a lot recently, especially with this whole thing that's happening now. They said that, Oh, and the Jewish virtual library actually mentions this on, on, they say he was somebody who I think he negotiated with Eichmann to have a bunch of Jews released from one of the, one of the work camps. And he did. And so he was a friend of the Jews, but a lot of the Jews back then said, we don't care. He could have done more. And you're seeing that now with this whole thing in Gaza, because when anybody goes says yeah we think what we think what hamas did was horrible you know breaching the border no it's not a border it's actually a prison wall that they breached but so let's get that let's get that right this gaza isn't a state it's a prison um and doing that and it goes and i think it was tucker was talking to vivek whatever that fucking guy's name is um (laughs) and they were basically saying you know they were like yeah we feel really bad but we also feel bad because we know innocent palestinians are going to die and ben shapiro is just losing his mind and it just goes to prove if you are not it's like that was that um angela davis thing it's not enough to be not be racist you have to be actively Mm anti-racist It's like, it's not enough to, you know, to to be like, hey, I think that Jews are our friends. No, any enemy of the Jew has to be our mortal enemy. Yes. That's all I've been seeing. That's all I've seen from Ben Shapiro. There are no half measures. They have no half measures, you know? And it's, I I think, I, I honestly think a lot of people are waking up. I mean, look at what's happened. I mean, something that I'm... I'm not real big on Saudi politics, but I follow Iranian politics. If you would have told me a month ago that anyone from Iran would have been flying to Saudi Arabia to talk, I mean, I don't think MBS had, MBS since he's been in office had never taken a phone call from Iran. And now they're meeting. I mean, this this is huge. And this is exactly what Hamas wanted. Hamas did that because they wanted, they, they want, they need to not provoke, they need to provoke a, um, a response from Israel, but they need to provoke a response from all the surrounding countries mm-hmm. you know, yeah. because they need to know the Palestinians want to know, Hey, you've forgotten about us. 
Abraham Accords, all these things. I mean, these are everybody thinks, oh, they just did this because they're no, there's so much politics surrounding this. You know, it's like it's like, oh, Hitler invaded Hitler invaded Poland because he was just a madman and everything. Oh, let's not talk about the violence that was going on in Danzig. Right, now, the, right. the, the German citizens that were being that were being tortured and murdered in Danzig by a Polish junta government. Yeah, let's not talk about that at all. Or the fact that the Soviet Union invaded the Poland at the exact same time from the other direction. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah, all the Bolsheviks in Germany, you know, right before the war, early in the war, they were doing the things that uh, magically the Ergun and uh, Leahy were doing. <laughs> exact same type of things uh yeah you can see such a pattern throughout history and you know it's it sounds simple but you know i said a few months back if you had a friend who basically got in trouble all the time couldn't get along with anybody you know eventually and he always blames everybody else eventually you're going to say it's his fault and you start looking throughout history and you see that uh you know when these the court Jews, as they called them, you know, they would always end up getting in trouble for trying to usurp too much power, I think. And also, well, I they think- would get, they'd get a little power and then they'd, they'd um, bring nepotism, they'd bring their people in. And um, I mean, that that's what happened. And um, Stalin realized that when he was, um, you know, once he took over, he's like, oh, I'm surrounded by Jews and they're all promoting Jews all around. I mean, the Bolshevik revolution was a Jewish revolution anyway. So, I mean, the yeah. only the only reason Lenin and Stalin, um, Lenin first and then Stalin was because they weren't obviously Jewish. Mm-hmm. I mean, obvi- obviously, people, a lot of people thought Trotsky should have, you know, taken over instead of Lenin. Um, but I mean, it was, I mean, Bronstein, whose last name was Bronstein. And Russia was not going to be ruled by a Jew. And yeah, then he went on his purges all the way across Russia, killing whole towns. And, you know, I mean, it was just basically, um, you know, people don't even realize the Bolshevik revolution was run by Jews, was um, the executioners, the gulag system, the, 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 the Cheka, all of the positions that had the power of like executioner were Jews. And there was a reason because they were going to get back at Russia for what they had been doing, you know, for the way Russia, the pale of settlement and everything that Russia had um, done when they realized that we can't live with these people because they subvert everything. And, you know, just like every other, I mean, I had a guy on Twitter yesterday, a Jew who, you know, we're going back and forth and everything. And I'm like, look, man, I'm sorry, but you guys got, you, you guys have been kicked out of every single area you've ever been in. Hundred, you know, even if you don't believe 109 countries, it's well over a thousand territories, so a thousand locations. And he said the reason that happened was because they all just were racist and they hated us. <laughs> and I'm like, if your kid got kicked out of 109 schools, you know, after like 10, maybe think, you know, think your kid's an asshole. Maybe your kid's maybe your kid's an asshole. Maybe there's a problem here, you know, and. You know, anyone who has been paying attention to what's happened since the New Deal or World War II can see that um, basically we live in a Jewish world. I mean, the West is the West is Jewish Every, from from our finance, everything down to our culture, what our culture has become, the subjective uh, morality of our culture. Um, one of the things that uh, Werner Sombart talks about in Jews and Modern Capitalism is the 
the three, the two great, um, uh, the two great powers that Jews have and usually possess over the centuries. But the one thing that they have that makes those two powers really dangerous and the powers is their, their intellectualism and their rationalism. But the problem is those are two good things until you throw in a subjective morality. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you combine that with a subjective morality, you are going to have people who are going to be clashing. You know, we talked, Thomas 777 and I did a five-part series on the Jewish question. And one of the things I think we talked about in the first episode was how the Jew, how the Jews could have went to Catholic Spain and there not have been a war immediately. How how Catholics could meet these people who have no, whose morality is completely subjective and not realize we can't allow these people to come in here. And I mean, it basically destroyed the country. They destroyed the country for 700 years. I mean, I know my Spanish history. It's my heritage and uh, studied. I've actually become pretty good on the Spanish civil war. But um, when you go back to like seven eleven AD, when the Muslims, when the Moors came to conquer Spain, they made it to Toledo, which was the great fort. And there were Jews there. They opened the gates and let them in. Mm. And, you know, that started, um, it took, it took another 700 years to remove them from Spain, the recon, the reconquista. And how did, these Muslims who are the um, you know, sworn enemy of Jews thank the Jews for opening up the uh, gates. They allowed them to take positions of power all throughout the country. They enslaved Christians. They made Christians be circumcised. They made Christians um, convert to Judaism. I mean, it was, it was horrifying. I mean, it's, there's no reason they should have been there in the first place. You know, so... You know, this is the world. This is the world we live in now. And when I say that, people, you know, immediately start thinking, "Oh, well, yeah. You know, how do you solve that problem?" You know, my friend Tim Kelly from the Our Interesting Times podcast says we have to convert them all to Christianity. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, basically, we need to we need to go back to a time when that influence wasn't you know upon us. I mean, usury. The idea of usury and interest, especially compound interest, is a sin, according mm-hmm. to the Bible. It's a sin. The Catholics still Catholics still consider it to be a sin. Yet, it's just a given. It's just a given in our world. You know, when you say you know interest and usury, no, it's excessive usury is a sin. Well, look at a house. Okay, so say you buy a. I have this math in my head for just because I needed something to memorize just so I could use an example. So if you buy a house for a hundred thousand, good luck. (laughs) Good luck in today's market. Um, If you have a, if it's a 30 year loan and I think it's six or 7%. And I think that we're way over that now. I think we're almost at 8%. If you take no, no loans against it. No, uh, you're basically going to be paying $290,000 for that house. Unbelievable. Why? 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 They make you a loan one time. 
And that loan actually, that doesn't, that money is created out of thin air. Mm, yeah. It's not, that money is not because, oh, we have a hundred thousand dollars in the bank of, in this bank vaults over here. And now we're going to give you that money so you can buy the house. So now you have to pay us back. That's, they just, when a loan is approved, they just, and they create the money out of thin air. Why are you paying it back? Why are you paying it back with interest that isn't printed? Yeah. You don't print the interest. Right. So you don't understand that this is a system of slavery because the interest isn't printed. Easiest way to figure this out is six guys on an island. One decides to be the banker. The other five guys want to borrow $200 each. The banker creates, prints out, um, creates $1,000 out of thin air, lends them $200 each, expects them to pay back, all each one of them to pay back um, $216, 8% interest. Okay, how do all of them pay it back if the, if the interest wasn't printed? That's a good question, yeah. It's sin. Right. It, it's, it's literally sin. That, that's, that's all it is. Mm-hmm. And we can't let, I mean, why do you think our culture, why do you think the world is like it is today? Because we operate in sin every single day. All right, guys, I think that wraps up this edition of the Oddcast. Pete was hitting on some heavy things there, and it gives us something to think about and look forward to the continuation of our conversation in the Oddcast next week. And I do suggest that you check out all of Pete's content, his podcast, his Substack, and any shows that he might have been a guest on. He's always got something very interesting to say. Now, let's go ahead and thank my patrons. Thank you for supporting the show. And if you want to become a supporter of the Oddcast, go to patreon.com forward slash the odd man out. I want to thank Scott. I want to thank KF. I want to thank Cole. I want to thank that crazy bread man for being a covert co-conspirator. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Ruckus, for being a producer of the show. You can find The Daily Ruckus on alternatecurrentradio.com as well as find Ruckus all over TNT Radio. Thank you, No Evil Shall I Fear, for being a producer of the show. Thank you, Mark, from Housatonic.live. Check out all of Mark's work. He's done some great stuff on the COVID vaccines. Very, very detailed information. Thank you, Bill, for being a producer of the show. Thank you, James. Thank you, Kilowatt. Thank you, Sir Tim of the Tunnels. Thank you, Aaron. And thank you, Jack Allen, for Conspiracy or Just a Coincidence. Check out his show on all your fine podcasting platforms as well as YouTube. I also want to thank my podcasting family at alternatecurrentradio.com. Be sure and check out their flagship show, The Boiler Room, as well as all their talk and music shows. Also, thank you to FringeRadioNetwork.com for carrying the Oddcast. And guys, thank you so much for, again, taking the time to listen. Look forward to bringing you more information very soon. Cheers and blessings. And remember, their order is not our order. See you guys. I just want to say this to our Christian friends, mm-hmm. you know, uh, just to, just to call it as it is and say it straight out, you know, you, you guys are worshiping one Jew, 
that's a mistake. You should be worshiping every single one of us because we all die for your sins every single day. And that's exactly what's going on here. Yeah. We're, we're all God's firstborn. And we're dying for your sins right now because, because the Jewish people in the land of Israel are the bulwark right. against the orcs. Mm-hmm. Okay? The orcs are coming not to a theater ne- near you, but to your home. I mentioned before, we do not believe that history just occurs. We believe that Hashem directs the events of history. Hashem makes history, but not Hashem alone. It's Hashem and us together. Stealing is one of the seven that the Goim are not allowed to do. And stealing, it's also death penalty by the Goim, by the Gentiles, even today. Which makes it very, very interesting. Why? Technically, there's almost no Goim in the world that didn't steal at least not once in his life. So technically it's very almost not possible to find from seven and a half billion Gentiles one event that is not a thief. So technically, according to the strict law of the Torah, not one Gentile in the world deserves to live.